Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, Jonathan hasn't been with us about the past couple weeks, is it? I don't, I don't know. He's been off gallivanting around Europe. But while he was doing that, he was also conducting a very thorough executives poll uh, in which he sent out a poll uh, with dozens of questions about prospects to hundreds of front office executives, got responses from several dozen of them, and uh, put together what I think is one of the funner projects uh, that we do uh, each year. I shouldn't say each year. We've we've done it a few times now, each of the past two years. It's feeling annual now. Yeah. Can we we call it annual now? Second annual, but third or fourth time we've done it. Uh, So we are going to dig deep into that. We are, uh, as we record, uh, we've put out two of the four parts of that series. Uh, We're going to give a little sneak peek of the next two parts that have not been uh, published yet. Um, we are also going to talk about some breakout prospects for 2024. Um, we've identified one for each team that we think will break out this coming season. And the international signing period opens on January 15th, less than a week away. And we are going to talk a little bit about that. In fact, our mailbag question is about that. And that's how we're going to wrap up. All right, let's get to the executives poll. Jonathan, fine work. Um, Thank you. As you know, this is, and as I said, this is one of my, I think one of the funner things that we do. It's one of my favorite things that we do. And it's always for me, I think maybe it's, maybe I like it as much as I do because you guys talk to these guys all the time. Um, And this is an opportunity, I think, for those of us who don't talk to the people that you talk to for this uh, to get a little direct insight from them. Uh, So, you know, we had scouts, farm directors, assistant GMs, pro scouting director, VP, GM, assistant GM. I'm just going down the list of uh, the respondents to the poll. Uh, Talk a little bit about how it works, how it's broken down. And I guess I just talked about who, uh, contributes to it. Yeah. I mean, I'll start with a little bit on the, the who, you know, the, the idea of even when we first started was to try to get as large of a cross section as possible across organizations and across departments, you know, different, uh, different departments look at different things more closely. And each year, each time we've done this, I think we've kind of expanded it more in terms of, uh, getting more people to respond. This is the the, the highest amount of respondents we've had. We got all 30 organizations to have at least one member of their front office respond. And we hit all of the different departments. You mentioned, you know, from the general managers, you know, offices to 
scouting to player development to analytics uh you know and i'll continue you know assuming that this is annual and we keep doing it you know keep trying to add people to to reach out to probably should do a vetting you know people change organizations and things like that and uh but uh, i was pretty pleased with how many people we got to respond to for this one and uh, we ended up breaking it down kind of into four different uh four different parts uh, but the first three are really player focused and, you know, I sort of have seen it as a kind of drilling down. So the, the first one is asking simply who they think are going to be rookies of the year. And we're going to get into all the different parts, you know, the, that's the kind of surface level question. And then we start digging in a little bit deeper by asking specifically questions about prospects and then about their tools. And that's the first three parts. And then the fourth, it's kind of a, a deeper dive. You know, we do farm system rankings every year, but we, we don't ask all the teams to weigh in on, you know, which organizations do different things better than others from scouting, finding players via trade, player development of different kinds of players, all that sort of thing. And that's, uh, I think it's 26 questions in total. All right. So let's get into the first one. And you mentioned that's who will win the rookie of the year in both the American League and the National League. Uh, This one turned out to be a little bit tricky because as we were about three quarters of the way through the responses, I would say, maybe more than that, uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto signed with the Dodgers. Up until that point, uh, nobody could have really voted for him for uh, Rookie of the Year because they didn't know where he was going to sign and which whether they vote for him American League or National League. Um, so <laughs> once he did sign, we had to go back and uh, Jonathan had to ask everyone who had already responded, dozens of people, to uh, res- respond to that one again. And you know, would you now that he's signed vote for him instead of who you voted for previously? Um, now, the way that it worked out was that many of them, a majority, in fact, said that, yes, they would vote for me. He got 51% of the vote. And and this is, you know, I, I know when we put this out, some people were upset saying, you know, how these foreign professionals are, you know, compared to, uh, am, you know, compared to rookie, you know, prospects is not fair when this guy's pitched in Japan and 25 years old. We don't make these rules, um, but I can see what the issue is here yeah i mean and, and it got gets complicated for us in other parts of this survey because while yamamoto is certainly uh able to win rookie of the year and thus should be counted i think for this survey question uh did not you know ask uh go back and ask well would you give him best secondary pitch or best fastball or anything pitching related because he is not a pitching prospect according to our rules. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a weird thing uh, that I think we've long struggled with uh, when you have the slightly older foreign players come, but as long as major league baseball's rules dictate that, that Yamamoto can compete for rookie of the year, he's going to be part of the, of the survey. He did take, when I went back and asked people, because so many people had voted before, he took votes away from a lot of the other players uh, who got multiple votes. Jackson Churio finished second, Noel V. Marte, Pete Crow Armstrong, Jordan Lawler, and Paul Skeens were the other who who got 
multiple votes. And I don't, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think he took votes away from just about everybody else on, on, on that list who had gotten multiple votes. So at least that got spread out there. I think, you know, Churio was maybe before Yamamoto signed would have been the, the guy that most people would have thought to lead this, although it wasn't, it wasn't clear uh, at the time. I think just because his name was in the news after the contract signing and there's the, the, combination of talent plus opportunity there uh, I think a lot of people thought he would have fared better and Yamamoto certainly ate into a bit of his lead at the top if he had had one you guys uh Jim and Jonathan made predictions uh, just prior to the the turn of the year uh for 2024 and, and a couple of those predictions were who would win NL and AL rookie of the year you guys didn't have the guys, any of the top three here. Well, you have Yamamoto, you couldn't well, have had. You know, well, you know, you know why. Like, we're going to tell you how the sausage was made. We recorded that episode before Yamamoto. But, but also, <laughs> Churio and Marte, who finished second and third here, uh, neither of you had them either. Jonathan had Pete Crow Armstrong, who, who got 6% of the vote. And uh, Jim, you took Paul Skeens, who got 4% of the vote. So neither of you going with the either of the even top two outside of Yamamoto for the results of of this poll. Yeah, well, I mean, I think our, when we discussed it, I think the one thing we agreed on, too, was that the National League was kind of wide open. And you look at, if you take Yamamoto out, Churio had like maybe a third of the votes, and it was distributed pretty equally. I, I do think the National League race feels a lot more wide open than the American League race, or it did before Yamamoto came in. Like, I, I don't... If we, I don't know if we put a degree of confidence in our picks, Jonathan, but I don't think either of us felt as particularly strong about our NL Rookie of the Year pick as we did about Corbin Carroll winning it a year ago when we made that prediction. No, and I think in both leagues in 2024, it's less certain. Last year, both in our picks and in the polling, it was Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson you know, were the clear picks. And I don't, I don't think that's true in, you know, in in either league this time. Even you know, even if the National League is even more unsettled, Yamamoto or not, uh, I, I think there's there are more candidates. And it, listen, it's rare, I think, when the two guys who everyone thinks is going to win go out and win. That's part of the reason I think I I decided to pick Pete Crow Armstrong uh, because. One, he's going to play every day, uh, and two, even if you know Churio seemed to be the 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 guy that was the more popular pick, uh, both in the survey and just in general after his his contract extension, that was more of a you know what I I just don't see it happening two years in a row where the guy everyone thinks is going to win is going to go and do it. Also receiving votes, Michael Bush of the Dodgers, Kyle Harrison of the Giants. Jacob Hurtabies of the Reds and James Wood of the Nationals. All right, American League, as you said, a little more clear cut. The top two vote getters, uh, pretty tight here. Evan Carter got 36% of the vote. Jackson Holiday got 30% of the vote. Uh, so they account for uh, 66% of the vote overall. And then Junior Caminero got 15%. Wyatt Lankford, 11%. Others receiving votes, Heston Kerstad, Brooks Lee, Curtis Mead, Austin Wells. So not as many players getting votes in the American League and certainly uh, much more 
uh, evenly distributed between the top two, who are the two players that you guys picked in, in your predictions? It just feels more clear cut in the American League at this point. I mean, we can debate, and we did, you know, I'm of the school that Jackson Holiday won't make the opening day roster and it'll take him a little longer. You know, so that's why I went with Evan Carter because I think he's got a clear cut job after the September and October he had. But I, if I were, if we were going super deep on predictions, I think I would pick the same four guys in that exact same order one through four in the American League Carter, Holiday, Caminero, Lankford. Um, and, you know, if we move teams around and switch the leagues, I think a lot of those guys would either be the first or, or second choice in the National League, you know, behind Yamamoto. Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. I, I do remember we had a conversation about debating the the when Jackson Holiday makes uh, m- makes his debut, you know, when he gets to Baltimore. Will it be early enough for him to really – uh, compete. And I, I think I wasn't sure. And, you know, especially after seeing the results of this, uh, this survey, clearly there are a lot of people in baseball think that he's going to be up plenty early enough to, uh, to compete. You know, Evan Carter had the advantage of like, you know, he's going to be in that, that outfield after, after his postseason. Um, you know, Caminero may not start the year. Uh, I don't, it seems unlikely he's going to start the year on the opening day roster. Um, so I might, I might even put Langford ahead of Caminero. Um, but again, there'd have to be the opportunity for Langford to, to, to break in, even though, you know, he's just getting started, but they both could sort of arrive back in the American league. Caminero made his debut late last year, but or, you know, kind of arrive full time uh, at around the same time. Okay, let's move on to part two of the executives poll. Uh, in this section, we ask questions such as who is baseball's best hitting prospect, best pitching prospect, best defensive prospect, uh, which player has the best baseball IQ, who is the most underrated prospect, who will be the breakout prospect of the year, um, best future closer, and a couple questions about the best prospect you've ever seen. So uh, starting off at the top, and we'll talk some more about Jackson Holiday, who uh, should not be a surprise that his name was all over the responses in uh, this poll, including a landslide uh, winner of best overall hitting prospect. He got 70% of the vote. Jackson Cheerio got 8%. Wyatt Langford, 6%. Dylan Cruz, Evan Carter, and Junior Caminero each got 4%. Uh, only other players that got a vote Ben Rice of the Yankees and Dalton Rushing of the Dodgers. What can you say here, guys? No surprise. Is it a surprise by how much he no. won this particular? Not, I don't think so. I mean, the correlation between being the top prospect uh, and thought to be the best offensive prospect, plus how he does it, you know, hits for average, ridiculous approach at the plate, all the walks, uh, the impact, um, you know, it, it's, I think it's the combination of those things. You know, not only is it like a really good hitter with a huge ceiling like Jackson Churio, but uh, his approach is so advanced. His feel for hitting is so good that, uh, you know, he's got a 70 grade hit tool for a reason. Uh, and, you know, at least the survey results back that up. 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny because on one hand, I agree. Like, it, I think he's an easy choice, and and I guess, you know, th- there is some variance in how you can interpret this. Is he the best position prospect in the game, or is he the best hitter among prospects in the game? In either case, I would I would pick Jackson Holiday as the clear number one choice. I, I guess I am a little surprised that it's that resounding. You know, considering you know you do have some bias. You know, guys will vote for guys on their own team and and this and that. But I, I think, it, like you said, Jonathan, it just speaks to how extraordinary he is that he gets 70% of the vote. Nobody else gets more than 8%. Jonathan, you were talking about his approach and his feel for the game, uh, which leads me down, uh, down the line here. A few questions, which was who has the best baseball IQ? And I think this plays into what you were talking about there because Jackson Holiday came out on top there as well. He got 28% of the vote. This is one where we saw a lot of different answers, but Holiday, a pretty clear winner here with 28% of the vote. Dylan Cruz, Jordan Lawler, Brooks Lee, each got 7%. Churio, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, Tamar Johnson, Ethan Salas, um, one of only two catchers, I believe, who received votes. And Jacob Wilson uh, got 5%. One pitcher got a vote, which I'm not sure we've ever seen, but Rhett Lauder got a vote for best baseball IQ. I thought that was interesting. Um, anything that uh, stood out to you guys here or were you surprised to, to see that Holiday, I don't know if we say ran away with this one, but won this one too? Yeah, not a surprise. I mean, there's the whole nature and nurture. You know, he grew up around the game, you know, Matt Holiday being his dad and, uh, you know, that, that certainly – adds to it and his instincts have always been one of his his most important traits and I, you know the thing with this question is that it's it's such a nebulous term and i think it can be defined in a lot of different ways and that's why you end up with a huge amount of players uh getting you know at least some recognition because of it because i think it's not something you can't you know put a stopwatch on iq um, you know, and, and things like that. And so, uh, I do think it is interesting to see, you know, a guy who is the number one overall prospect also be, you know, the, the top guy in baseball IQ. Uh, we haven't done this enough time, you know, enough times over the years to have a strong history, but I think often the sort of highest IQ guy isn't always the guy who's considered to be the number one, you know, number one prospect. And uh, a a lot of, there are a lot of like the top, top prospects who got multiple votes in this, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. And it, it, you, when you think of baseball IQ, getting back to what you were talking about with, with Rhett Lauder, Jason, you do think of position players, you know, because they have, various different ways they can show instincts and you know I, I guess we don't think about instincts for pitchers but we do talk about feel for pitching and I do think Rhett Lauder's feel for pitching is off the charts I think it's more impressive than his pure stuff not that his stuff is lacking but you know I think you'd put you know, maybe a 70 on his feel and I don't know that he has a pitch it's really more than a 60 um, and it's multiple pitches and it's ability to move the ball around the strike zone and sequence the pitches in a way to throw hitters off balance and understand how to pitch to hitters weaknesses. So I kind of like it. Whoever, whoever voted for Rhett Lauder, I kind of like it. And, and I, I do think if we had a separate category, 
and maybe we should next year, um, which pitcher has the best feel for his craft. I, I bet. You mean Red- pitchability? Stay yeah. tuned, Jim. Hmm. Stay tuned. We, we could do that. Yeah. Maybe there Stay is tuned. a question on that. It, it's is in there? the tool section. Yeah, it's in the tool section. Okay. And uh, you will you will probably not okay. be surprised to find out that uh, Rhett Lauder's on top of that. Oh, yeah. well, there you go. Well, there's, yeah. I, I, I was confused. So Jim and I have been working together for so long that he predicted something I already did. I think you're right. We will have that question next year. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, speaking of uh, guys whose names were all over this poll, another one, um, best pitching prospect, Paul, Spe- Paul Skeens ran away with that one, 59% of the vote. Andrew Painter got 12%. Kate Horton, 7%, 5% for Jackson Job, Kyle Harrison, and Ricky Tiedemann. Also receiving votes, Tink Hentz, Noblemeyer, Drew Thorpe, and Will Warren. Uh, but Skeens, and you know, we'll, we'll uh, touch on some of the tool-specific questions later, but, I mean, <laughs> like I said, his name is all over. Uh, we'll get to that in a bit. But, you know, number one overall draft pick, top-ranked pitching prospect, and this uh, kind of followed chalk here. Yeah, yeah I mean, Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry, John. I was just say it's impressive that he got that share of the vote when he's barely played professionally. Because you do have, and I think it's a smaller minority now, but you do have people who are like, oh, you can't rank a guy until he really gets out there and proves it. And, and clearly the majority of, of guys who responded to this poll didn't feel that was necessary. What he pitched six and two thirds innings, uh, which was enough to pronounce. I, I, I'm kind of, I, I'm almost more amazed that Andrew Painter got 12% of the votes after a year in which he wasn't yeah. healthy enough to throw a pitch. And, and I love Andrew Painter. And I assume he won this last year, probably pretty strongly because um, he was healthy at the time, but I don't know that I would personally pick a guy who's injured as the best pitching prospect, even if he's well, near the end of his rehab. He did win it last year. I don't remember what the uh, Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, it was pretty pretty yeah. close. Grayson Rodriguez twenty six percent. Yuri Perez twenty three percent last year. Right. I remember at the time thinking that Grayson Rodriguez was going to win, and then and then Painter did. But um, I think there are a couple of things at play. One, uh, there is a certain sort of recency bias. Skeens made so much, uh, you know, had so much attention and hype, and lived up to it, and was so good in his draft and was the number one pick in the draft. Uh, I don't think what he did in Pro Bowl had anything to to do with this. I just I think it's more about where people classify him as a draft prospect in history. You know, when when you talk about a guy as being the best college, you know, pitching prospect to come out of the draft, uh, you know, since Steven Strasburg, and they think he's going to have that same kind of path, I think that adds to it. And then you know, you mentioned Andrew Painter, and yeah, I thought it was you know not surprising, but it was interesting that he he got twelve percent of the vote. Some of that is confidence in return from Tommy John surgery overall, but a lot of the the other pitchers who got multiple votes all you know all have some sort of question mark. Painter's coming back from Tommy John surgery. Cade Horton was really good last year, but he had Tommy John surgery in college. There's not a whole lot of history on him. Jackson Job was hurt last year. So was Ricky Tiedemann. Kyle Harrison has command issues. You know, the, they're all really, really talented, but there's a reason why we only have one pitcher in what our top 15 or so overall currently on the list, not the, not the new ranking, but 
I think all those things sort of figured into why he substantially won, you know, won this question. Okay. Uh, let's go through some more of these categories. Uh, who is the best defensive prospect? Uh, that was another landslide. Pete Crow Armstrong got 44% of the vote, which is no surprise. He's been on our all defensive prospect team for several years, uh, widely considered uh, the best defensive prospect in baseball followed by Sedan Rafaela and Enrique Bradfield Jr., who each got 8% of the vote. Carson Williams, Mason Wynn, Noah Miller uh, got 6%. Jordan Lawler, 5%. Uh, let's see here. Who is the most underrated prospect? Thought this one was interesting. Uh, got a lot of different responses here. Uh, I think we got, third. I think, 35 different players. Yeah, 35 different players got votes. Uh, Colt Emerson got 11%. That was the most. Uh, of the Mariners. Ray's Xavier Isaac got 7%. Samuel Basayo, Carson Wisenhunt, Jacob Melton, Justin Crawford, Robbie Snelling, Thomas Segezi, and Zach DeZenzo each got 4%. Who will be the breakout prospect of the year? Another one where there was a, a large number of prospects who got votes. At the top, Dylan Lesko of the Padres got 9%. Samuel Basayo, who you could Certainly say broke out last year, uh, but he got 7% of the vote. 4% goes to Aiden Miller of the Phillies, Ben Rice of the Yankees, Colt Emerson of the Padres, James Wood of the Nationals, Kyle Teal of the Red Sox, Lazaro Montes of the Mariners, and Marcelo Meyer of the Red Sox. We're going to talk more about breakout prospects later in the show. Before, I just want to interrupt so Mariners fans don't freak out. Colt Emerson was not just traded to the Padres, as you, as oh, you hinted. Uh, oh, no. Is, does that mean that uh, we have a graphic with a wrong team in there? Because I was reading straight down. No. I, I think maybe you were just – I don't know if your eyes went from Colt Emerson to the picture of Dylan Lesko in the graphic. It, it's listing him as a Mariner. You just said he was a Padre. That's okay. It was quick quick uh, on-the-fly correction. Continue. Which pitching prospect is the best future closer? Uh, Jacob Mizorowski got 30% of the vote, followed by Hurston Waldrop of the Braves got 14%. Daniel Espino uh, got 12% of the vote. This one was kind of interesting because I think four of the top 10 to 12 pitching prospects in baseball uh, got votes here. Jackson Joe, Paul Skeens, Ricky Tiedemann right. all got votes as well. Uh, all right, and then the last couple were about the best prospects uh, these people have ever seen. One was who is the best minor league prospect you've ever seen. The other was who is the best amateur prospect you've ever seen. Some really big names on here. Best minor league prospect you've ever seen, Mike Trout, Ronald Acuna Jr., Adley Rutschman, Bryce Harper, A-Rod. Best amateur prospect you've ever seen, Bryce Harper, Bobby Witt Jr., Pat Burrell, Byron Buxton, Jackson Holiday, Shohei Otani, Adley Rutschman, Steven Strasburg. Yeah, I uh, we the minor league prospect question was new. We didn't do it last year, so I thought it was an interesting sort of wrinkle uh, and maybe more of a nod to people who spent more time in pro scouting or player development and didn't have as much of an opinion on on amateur scouting. Uh, so I thought it was interesting to see what they thought. And sometimes it's just when you you know when you saw a player, uh, Cunha had that huge year, the summer run up to AAA. Trout had that the you know actually really good minor league career, but again, the one really, really strong year right before he made it to the big leagues. Uh, so I, I thought that was interesting. And then some of the the crossover, you know, Harper being on both lists uh, and, and Rushman as well. And 
I, I stretched the rules a little bit, as I, as I said in the story, because Shohei Otani really wasn't an amateur prospect. It was interesting to see how many different players got mentioned in both in, in both these questions. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of it, too, it's interesting. I mean, there's no way. I mean, I guess you could get everybody's age and resume and figure out how long they've been in the business. But I think a lot of it depends on how long you know, you've been covering stuff. I mean, if I go back to my 34, I guess I'm starting my 36th year now in the business. Um, if I count 1988, anyway, um, maybe it's my 37th year. My math is crazy. I, I think A-Rod's the best prospect I've ever seen, both amateur and in the minor leagues. And I mean, he was barely in the minor leagues. Um, but if you're going more modern, uh, you know, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, you know, Bo Jackson, if you went way back, probably had as good of pure tools as anybody just off the charts tools. But uh, yeah, it's always interesting. The, the variety of answers you see with these questions is pretty interesting. Okay, we've got two parts down, two to go. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the uh, responses to the best tools questions and uh, questions that pertain to farm systems. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB podcast. No, MLB Pipeline podcast. That's what it is, right? Um, yeah. And I think, I think so. I'm Jason Ratliff, and that was Jonathan Mayo, and Jim Callis is over there somewhere. Jim? I'm still here. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's that's what this is and who we are. And uh, we're talking about the executives poll that uh, is a four-part series running over the course of this week. Uh, first two parts – rookies of the year and prospects we have discussed. Now we're going to talk about the best tools section and the farm system section. Best tools. Uh, let's start with the hit tool. And uh, we've basically already talked about this. We talked about the best hitting prospect in the game. Um, we talked about you know, he had the best IQ in the game. Also has the best hit tool in the game. That's Jackson Holiday. And again, in a landslide, got 74% of the vote. Uh, only other players to get uh, multiple votes were Dylan Cruz, Jackson Churio, and Wyatt Langford. This one, pretty pretty uh, similar to the names that you saw on the list of uh, best hitting prospects in the game. Which prospect has the best usable power? Here's one uh, where we see, again, some similar names, but Holiday not involved here. Uh, Wyatt Langford won this category with 34% of the vote. Uh, he and James Wood accounted for over half uh, the vote getters, James Wood of the Nationals, got only one percent of the vote, followed by Junior Caminero, Kobe Mayo. What'd you guys think of this? Is this in line with your thinking? Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And again, I mean, I think we're hearing, you know, we we just heard White Lang from Dylan Cruz with the best hit tool. We've mentioned Paul Skeens a bunch. It, it's just another reinforcement of how special the top of that 2023 draft was because we keep hearing these same names over and over again. Yeah. And I think what separated Langford from Wood, uh, you know, even though Langford doesn't have a, a long pro resume is because he's thought of as being a, a you know, a better pure hitter, there's more confidence he's going to get to the power. And that's, you know, to me, the definition of usable. If it were raw power, James would probably finish ahead. Likewise, I think if James Wood had had a better uh, time of it in double in A, 
uh, and I'm willing to wait. He's super young, but if he had put up better numbers, once he got to double a, he probably would have gotten more votes. Uh, you know, I think there are people want to see him do it at the upper levels before believing he's going to get to his ridiculous raw power as consistently as they think Wyatt Langford is going to. Jim, you mentioned the top of this year's draft class. Walker Jenkins also got a couple votes in this category. So another name from yep. the top of this year's class. All right. Which prospect has the most speed? Uh, Justin Crawford, uh, slightly. You should say these really fast. Slightly ahead of Enrique Bradfield Jr. Uh, 19% to 16%. You know Victor Scott's going to gloat over this one uh, as he uh, finished ahead of his buddy Chandler Simpson. They were uh, three and four. Victor Scott got 14% of the vote. Chandler Simpson tied with Jackson Cherio with 9% of the vote. Man, I'd like to just it, – it, it would be – Extremely fun just to line up a bunch of these guys and do it like uh, Battle of the Network Stars Gabe style. Kaplan. Get Gabe Kaplan out there. The skills Again, competition. Uh, Robert Conrad. I don't know if Robert Conrad's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Sprinting. No, they, they ran. Didn't they run, run the tie-breaking sprint? There was some dispute, and so Gabe Kaplan sprinted against Robert Conrad. I'm pretty sure it's the way it went back down. Yeah, right. in the 70s when that was like big TV. Didn't, didn't Gabe Kaplan play minor league baseball? Am I making that up? I think you're making that up. I don't think so. He's very small. To... I'm I'm skeptical. Not not believing. It. <laughs> All right. Not not showing up at baseball references. I see. Um, but anyway, I was gonna say my money would be if you lined all those guys up. I always think that this question gets tied a little bit to how much of a prospect there is. And Justin Crawford's on the top 100, and Ricky Bradfield and Victor Scott are bore like. I think Chandler Simpson's the fastest guy in the minor leagues, and my money's on Chandler Simpson. Although I don't think he has the same impact or less impact with the bat as these other guys. My money would be on Chandler Simpson, although we're not allowed to bet on baseball. So my, my money would not be on Chandler Simpson. I think it's a it's another one where it's, you know, people may define it a little bit differently. You know, some people may see, you know, the question and think about it's not usable speed, but it's you know, base running. I'll take it in any, any and, category, I'll take Chandler Simpson. Okay. Sixty yard dash, home to first. Running the bases, I'm taking Chandler Simpson. Fair enough. All right. Let's 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 move along here to the next category. Best fastball. Uh, ball skeins. 44% of the vote, Jacob Mizorowski. 22% of the vote, Kyle Harrison got 9%. Mason Miller uh, got 4% of the vote. And then let's, let's tie this in to the next one. Best secondary pitch because Paul Skeens also won that one, which just doesn't seem fair. Uh, you got 20% mm -hmm. of the vote. Hurston Waldrop, 16% of the vote. Jackson Job, 11% of the vote. But come on, guy with the best fastball and best secondary pitch in this poll. And I guess that is uh, why. <laughs> well, wait till you talk about pitchability. Look who tied for I third. <laughs> yeah. And then you want to wonder why he was the easy pick for. Uh... Pitching, best pitching prospect. Well, it's it, the thing we were talking about this a little bit as we were working on the top 100. So, I mean, the fastball's off the charts, the slider's unhittable. At one of his two college World Series starts, his changeup was his, he had a 70 changeup. I, I can't remember which game it was. I think it was the first game he pitched in Omaha. He could show you a 70 changeup also. Now, he's not going to do that every time out, but that's, that, that's why he's arguably as good as any pitching prospect that's come through the draft. Um, and he throws a ton of strike. It's it's interesting. You know, we we alluded to the best pitch ability when I 
was was previewing it without realizing I was previewing it, and it's Rhett Louder. I mean, that's all 2023 draft guys. Best fastball, best secondary pitch. The second best secondary pitch is Hurston Waldrop's uh, splitter, which is he's a 2023 draftee. Rhett Louder's the best pitch ability. He's a 2023 draftee. That top of that draft was pretty special. All right. What else do we have here? Uh, is, that, is that it? Is that all for the best tools? Did I skip anything? Part four, uh, farm systems. So ask questions, uh, not just who has the best farm system, but which team uh, uses the draft the best, which team plays the international market the best, which team is best at acquiring prospects and trades, uh, who has the most underrated farm system, which team hoards its prospects the most, uh, which team best develops pitchers, best develops hitters, uh, which team is best at uncovering and developing sleepers. Uh, asked all of these questions. This was, was this the biggest runaway we had in any category, best farm system? I think it might have been. Yes. 79%. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. The Orioles have a lock on that. Right. I mean, and it's amazing that it's still the the, the case given the graduations to the big leagues and the success they had last year. It just shows you that there's more coming. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens after this year when the you know next group probably graduates off. But uh, with where their system is right now, it just it is uh, it's amazing that not universal, uh, but pretty darn close given the differing of opinions among people who you know live in the baseball evaluation world that they got 79% of all the votes in that category. It's remarkable. Yeah. Nobody else got more than what, two votes? Like, and I agree because that's so, so subjective too. I mean, th- th- that's about a subjective, I-, I guess this is the more subjective part of the survey, these questions, but uh, you know, it's not like there's a stat you can look at or, you know, a, a way to really quantify that. Well, like you could also, the best farm system, how do you define that? Is that who's got the best right now? Is that who's produced the most talent over the last three, you know, you could define that in a bunch of different ways too. And that was just a blowout. So again, I kind of put that with, with holiday being the best hitting prospect, Jonathan, I'm not surprised they won in a blowout because I do think they are the obvious choice right now, but it just reinforces how good they are. Yeah, I think, and we'll get to some of the other uh, answers that I, I think support this, that people answered that question looking at the right now. Uh, I mean, the Orioles did well across the board in, in every category, but uh, some of the other farm systems that you know, we tend to think of as, as highly regarded and we have ranked highly uh, did very, very well in more specific, like who does well in developing pitchers or hitters or uh, acquiring prospects and trades, all those, you know, Jason, I'm sure you're going to run through a lot of these, but I think people kind of look more long range in some of those while uh, some of those organizations like the Dodgers who will get mentioned a few times now, as we, we go into those, they don't have as much marquee talent right this minute in their farm system, but that doesn't mean that people think less of how they go about doing it in their farm system. If that makes sense. Yeah. The Dodgers uh, finished at the top of the poll, both of these questions, which team best develops pitchers and which team best develops hitters. So that that's interesting because, you know, it was, it's the Orioles, like you said, the Orioles landslide winners of who has the best farm system, but 
who develops their pitchers and hitters the best. Uh, Dodgers in both categories. Orioles uh, came in second place, uh, of which team best develops hitters. And one thing I thought was interesting, kind of funny, is that the Orioles finished at the top of the which team hoards its prospects the most. So not only do they have the best farm system, but they're not going to give you anybody from that farm system. Well, I think that makes sense. I mean, everybody keeps waiting for them to make some trades to acquire pitching. And they've been, you know, if you want to say it nicer, very conservative about parting with prospects. So I'm not surprised by that one either, Jonathan. I th- that one I, I kind of would have thought would be an Orioles. No, I, it's interesting because Cleveland won that a year ago. So they have a, a longer reputation of holding on to their prospects. I think Baltimore, they're, you know, it'll be interesting to see at this time next year whether they're still holding on to their prospects or they finally sort of uh, lighten their grip uh, to, to make moves necessary for them to, to take the next step, you know, in big league postseason picture. I'm surprised the Pirates came in third here, Jonathan, because they haven't really been contending. I mean, I, I think they have a chance to contend this year. They're rebuilding. They have a good farm system. Why would the Pirates trade prospects at this point in the last few years? I, I that that one baffles right. me. Like, if, if I, I wonder trading, if that's like yeah per, personal experience, right? They've tried to you know wrestle a few prospects from you know even in the sort of Tampa Bay Rays kind of way, uh, and that's hinting at uh, how well the Rays did in terms of the voting, uh, in terms of which organizations do well in acquiring prospects. But, you know, sometimes you, you talk to a team that's not contending and you try to get an extra prospect in and they just won't, they won't hear of it. And they were, you know, playing well after April, maybe a lot of teams called them thinking that they would suddenly jump in and trade some of their prospects and they were smart not to do that. Uh, And maybe that's where that came from. That's conjecture. And the guardians, uh, Jonathan, you mentioned, uh, won this category last year, and they finished just behind Baltimore this year, 27% to 23%. So as uh, wide as a margin as there was between the Orioles uh, and the next teams and best farm system overall, when it came to uh, most underrated farm system, uh, there was a lot of variety here. Uh, what is this, 15 14 different teams got multiple votes. Uh, Red Sox, Tigers, and Mariners uh, led the way with 11% of the vote. Reds got 9% of the vote. Guardians, Brewers, Phillies, Rangers all got uh, a little over 6% of the vote. So uh, a lot of different teams represented in this one. Well, you know who the answer should be? (laughs) It should be the Astros, who we never rank high. And I do our Astros list, so I'm as much to blame as anybody. They have nobody on our top 100 prospect list, and I think it's been seven or eight years in a row they've had guys get Rookie of the Year votes, and they just keep cranking out prospects, and they always rank at the bottom of our list. So if I had a vote, I would cast it for the Astros. They got, they got. I'll the send you the survey next year. <laughs> yeah, you will let me vote. What'd you say, John? It was to say Jason there. I said they did. They did get some votes in the, in this four four percent of the vote. So. You, you, would, I'd, not, I'd be you would not have been alone. I'd be curious. I know we don't know the answer, so I'm just just rhetorical question. How many club officials voted for their own organization in this category? I, I bet I bet this would have had the highest rate of self-interest, if, if that's what it is, 
than any question. I think it would have been this one. You're probably not wrong. Yeah, that without, sounds right. Uh, I want you to calculate that when we're done for every question when we're done. So, I know you got a lot of time on your hands, Jonathan. If you could have that for the next podcast, that would be great. Well, it's funny. I did add up organizational mentions across every single question. And then I, I, I told Jason, I said, you know, in the future, like, I'd like to maybe build a formula that does weight things like voting for your own organization. And not every question is the same, but I do have a, like, a complete tally of, you know, which organizations got mentioned the most across the what, more than a thousand total responses to all the questions that we got. Okay, a couple more here. Um, Jonathan hinted at this one earlier. Which team is best at acquiring prospects and trades? I don't think this surprises uh, pretty much anyone in baseball, but the Rays run away here, get 77% of the vote, followed by the Cubs and the Nationals. And then uh, finally, which team is best at uncovering and developing sleeper prospects? Rays right up there uh, again, but just behind the Dodgers. We'd already mentioned the Dodgers uh, being lauded for the development of hitters and pitchers. And these are the same two uh, farm systems, guys, that, that it seems like we've talked about for years now as being among the best in baseball. Yeah, I mean, I, how many times a year do I mention about what a great job the Dodgers do, you know, refining prospects? I mean, they don't pick high in the draft ever. They don't have a lot of money internationally. They can't just outspend anybody like they used to. And they keep making guys better. I mean, you know, you have, you, know, you look at their top prospect list and you have some big money guys on there like Michael Bush and Diego Cartaya, but there's guys like Gavin Stone and Andy Pahays and Josu De Paula. And, you know, Peyton Martin was a 17th round pick in 2022. And now he's one of the best pitching prospects in the system. I, I just, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, look, I mean, the players matter too. Obviously, it's not like they just wave a magic wand and they turn guys into top prospects. But I do think that that, that is accurate, that they, they, they maximize the potential of players better than other organizations. Like, and I'm not saying it's a huge gap, but I mean, how many times a year are we talking about some Dodgers prospect who's come out of nowhere, who's a lot better than people realized? Uh, it, it seems like it's a lot. And um, I, I mean, I know from talking to, agents around draft time, even talking to some guys who have international players, I think there's that reputation in the industry and it helps them get players. You know, when players have some flexibility, when you're getting later in the draft, you know, will players sign for X? Sometimes you'll have players tell teams, no, I won't sign for that. And they'll push themselves to the Dodgers and actually take less money. I, I can think of two or three examples off the top of my head. I'm not going to name names um, in the last couple drafts where that's happened. Um, so I think that reputation, uh, that, that doesn't surprise me, came out that way. And it seems like we talk about it an awful lot. All right. That will wrap up our coverage of the executives poll. Again, that is a four-part series. You can find that on MLB.com slash pipeline. Jonathan, great work on that. Uh, and of course, thanks to everybody out there who responded to that uh, questionnaire that Jonathan sent out. Very appreciative. I think that turns out very nicely. We are going to take a break when we come back we're going to talk a little bit about some potential breakout prospects for this year and wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag about the international signing period that's coming up next on the mlb pipeline podcast
Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, I'm Jason Ratliff. Uh, we want to talk about some break, breakout prospects for this year. Uh, mentioned earlier, that was one of the questions in the poll. Um, who who everybody thought was going to be breakout this year. Dylan Lesko was at the top of that list, followed by Samuel Basayo, who uh, might be stretching the definition of breakout uh, there if, if we didn't consider what he did last year, uh, 953 OPS, reaching double A in his age 18 right. season as breaking out. Uh, but guys, we have a story up on the site where uh, we've identified one player per team that we expect to break out this year. I want you. I want you guys to give me your locks, your your ten thousand star guaranteed locks on a prospect that will break out this year. One from each of you, uh, Jonathan. Who you got? I'm going to go with Marco Raya of, of the Twins, who you know in the in the re rank of their top thirty midseason, I already had him up to number four, but hasn't really been on the kind of national sort of stage uh, that much fourth rounder in 2020 it was the covid draft uh you know high schooler hadn't pitched a lot uh didn't pitch in 2021 at all because of a shoulder strain you know was limited in 2022 because they wanted to make sure that he was healthy but you know put up some in, you know decent numbers and then last year he pitched his way to double a he was really really good in high a at age 20 but he only th he's only thrown 127 and two-thirds combined professional innings since being drafted but you know now he he's gonna be his age 21 season he's got a legitimate four pitch picks four pitch mix um <laughs> i like that four mix and uh he uh that's the <laughs> that's the flu medication kicking in i think and um you know, high spin on the fastball and the slider, especially they both probably would be plus in the end. He's going to have to show that he can be durable uh, given the injury. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but I think stuff wise uh, feel for pitching. He's going to figure out double a, and a lot more people are going to know his name in 2024. Four Mitch, four Mitch picks or uh, photos with four guys named Mitch in them. <laughs> Who who are we? We will have well, next week. We'll rank the top ten Mitches, um, uh, and we'll have four Mitch picks to run with the story. But uh, and I'm usually the one who gets tongue tied, so I'm 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 making fun of you, knowing that it's usually me getting my words twisted. Um, have at it. This question reminds me of we had our prediction uh, podcast, and we were supposed to identify who is the next Jackson Churio, which is kind of my classic breakout prospect. And at the time, I said Roderick Arias of the Yankees. So I'm not going to repeat myself because I you could just go listen to that podcast from two weeks ago where I talked about Roderick Arias. I'm going to stay domestic. And I'm going to go with Bryce Eldridge of the Giants. When we were doing our, our top 100 prospects, and we're still working on it, but part of the process is Sam, Dykstra, and Jonathan and I, we, we all have our personal list. We do a top 125, then we combine them, then we talk about it, and then we send out a rough draft kind of like the executive survey to a ton of people in baseball. And I think we have 25 or 30 people respond. And the player who got the most uh, feedback, who was not on the original list, that this guy needs to be on your list, is Bryce Eldridge of the Giants. He was a first-round pick last year, 16th overall, best two-way guy in last year's draft. He can th throw a fastball up to 96 miles an hour. He's got good secondary stuff, but he's going to be a hitter. They – 
actually played, it was seen as more of a first baseman. The Giants deployed him in the outfield in his pro debut. He hit six homers in, in his brief pro debut. It's big time power. I think there's some hitting ability there. You, you talk about baseball IQ. I, I think the two-way guys, because they have to do both, have insight into how the other side thinks, and it makes them better players. So I'm going to go with what, what the industry was telling us based on our first initial top 100 draft. He is on the list now. But I think the industry is expecting big things out of Bryce Eldridge, who's yet another 2023 draft pick. All right. There you go. Two picks to click. All right. A uh, question from the mailbag. This comes from Al Scott at Al Scott 1998 on Twitter. It says, where would Leo DeVries be on your top 100 prospects right now? Leo DeVries, for anyone who might not know, is the number one ranked international prospect for the 2024 class. That signing period opens on January 15th. Uh, we're going to have Jesse Sanchez on uh, the podcast next week to recap everything that goes down on uh, that big signing day. We have a top 50 prospects list up on the site now. You can check that out at MLB.com slash pipeline. Uh, but for the answer to this question, Jim, Jonathan, would he be on the top 100 prospects list right now? And if so, where? My my gut says no. Um, and that's really mostly based on the fact that that almost never happens. Uh, now, it's only been the last few years that, uh, you know, the, the international, I, I guess, in the past, the international signing period would start in time for us to consider for the rewrite. Right, the timing was different. And now that it's in January, we could do it for the preseason. But it, it just, it's not, uh, history tells me that we mostly want to see them go out and play before we make a, the determination to, to rank them on a top 100. Yeah, I mean, it's just so hard because these guys are generally 16 when they sign. You haven't seen them in a couple of years. Like, like it's not like they're playing games against top-level competition where you can evaluate them. You know, we got burned by Kevin Maiton. Uh, you know, I think Jason Dominguez and Ethan Salas, uh, had, you know, lived up to their billing. We put those guys on the top 100 pretty immediately. But, like, I think, to me, unless it's a guy who's considered just an extraordinary talent in, in international terms like Dominguez and Salas were, it's just too premature. Um, I would wait and see what he does before I'd get him on the list. Um, I will go ahead and make a prediction. <laughs> I hope we don't get killed as much on Twitter as we did, Jonathan. You went on vacation, so I don't know if you saw how much we got killed for when we were asked a couple of podcasts ago about where we would put Yamamoto on the top 100. And we got blown up on Twitter, and I've been blown up by several people in baseball for saying we should have, we, we should have answered that question having Yamamoto at or near the top of the top 100. But I, I don't think we'll get killed as much for wanting to wait on DeVries um, as we, we were a little, uh, I guess, not as bullish on Yamamoto as the industry thought we should be. Uh, Ethan Salas, last year's number one international draft prospect, by the way, uh, did not get added to the preseason top 100 list. He was added I think pretty soon thereafter and very <laughs> kind of quickly made his way up the list and then ended up being number five on the midseason re-rank uh, for a little context there. Case in point on, on Salas, we, we waited and then we, he was in spring training in Arizona and the news came out pretty quick. I was, at, I remember covering Padres camp that he was going to make his debut stateside and that already kind of moved him up some. And then it was like, Oh, he's going to full season ball. 
Uh, and so when we needed a replacement, we already had some information at our fingertips. You know, I think with someone like DeVries, he's you know likely going to play in the in the Dominican Summer League right out of the gate, and that means a certain amount, but not enough necessarily to, to jump him on. I, I you know Salas was such a, a different thing, and Dominguez was uh, Jason Dominguez was next level prospect in terms of how he had been evaluated as an amateur. So I, I think they are the exceptions and not the rule. Sorry to cut you off there. No, no. Well, I was just going to thank Al Scott for that question. Thanks, Al, for that. And thanks, everybody, for listening. That's going to be a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.